Hello, this is Bring a Plate. Do not turn off. It's uh, me, Peter Taggart. I just wanted to do a quick intro to this podcast because it's a live show and it takes some explaining. Um, Rebecca Shaw would be with me herself today, uh, but she is still in Melbourne doing uh, what? I don't know. She's uh, committing crimes. Um, so what I'm about to play is an episode of the podcast recorded live before an audience at the Wheeler Center in Melbourne as part of the Emerging Writers Festival 2015. If you haven't listened to the show before, uh, stop this immediately and listen back to the previous 22 episodes. I will wait. You should know before you listen to the show that there are some things that will not necessarily translate through your headphones or car stereo. Um, I actually did forget we were recording a podcast and do quite a physical impression at the start. Also, our friend Christopher Weldon sings towards the end and I try something on him and he quite uh, rightfully pushes me away. And our friend Brody Lancaster reenacts a famous affectionate one direction moment and that's something you really had to see i hope i'm not making this sound unlistenable just use your imagination you know create um mind pictures in your head like you used to do when you when you read books remember when we all read books guys thanks dad also we had a great tech person on hand on the day and if there is any shitty mic work it is my fault as usual um you will hear me turn up and down music at the beginning and the end please hire me for all your events um and you'll hear me mispronounce and flub a lot of words i was incredibly nervous as was rebecca shaw although i think she does hide it a little better um i guess we want to thank all the people who actually came to the show uh, it was absolutely beyond our expectations. Um, and we would love to do another Bring a Plate Live in the future. We'd love to do it with music and more guests and maybe in a different city. So if you do run a festival or you are a wealthy producer of some sort, uh, please get in touch. This has already been too long, so let's just do it. This is Bring a Plate, recorded live at the Wheeler Centre for Emerging Writers Festival 2015. Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience. Cheers. I love burger shrimp pizza. Wanna see me eat some? Can't get enough of that meat yum. Chili cheese fries and some Mr. Pip. I need tacos with a nasty dip. Pico de gallo, mayo or dryo. Hot sauce or barbecue straight from Ohio. Homemade coleslaw, fuck Boston Market. Junkie blue cheese range into five star bread. Only one time. Hello and pizza. welcome to Bring a Plate. I'm Peter Taggart. And I'm Rebecca Beck, we are here at uh, the Wheeler Centre for Emerging Writers Festival 2015. Um, often we say on this show that we are different places and we're not there. Uh, Indra Pilling Shopping Centre, we've never been to. Um, Brandy's concert in South Africa, we were there for that. <laughs> yeah, that was a real one. Um, but this is, it's kind of uh, just a part of our tour. 
um, <laughs> the last couple of days. Uh, we've been to a lot of great venues. Um, Broadmeadows Railway Station has a good gig. Um, Dandenong Kmart Car Park. We went to the Carlton IGA. Yeah. Jeffrey Edelston's... I bought tampons. <laughs> They're very expensive. Jeffrey Edelston's penthouse was my yep. favourite. We went on a Melbourne Housewives tour, trying Does, to find the yeah. Petty Fleur's Does apartment. Petty Fleur live in Collins Street? Yeah. Thanks, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you all know that? Don't you live here? What's been happening, Rebecca Shaw? Um, I've enjoyed Melbourne so far because Peter's been here for two days and nobody's um, called out a homophobic slur at yeah, the window. that's pretty good. Which happens every day in Brisbane. Um, yeah, we, we had a sort of adventurous time coming here. Um, it's kind of like landing in my hometown of St George, landing in Melbourne a little bit. Yeah. It's, um, we it's we landed in some um, terminal at the Melbourne airport that was like the beginning of Contagion. <laughs> like... There's some, I landed and I thought, has there been some sort of outbreak? <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on, but we survived. We're big boys and girls. Yeah. I did wake up, I was telling you this morning, I woke up um, and I am pretty nervous for this show, to be honest, to the point that I woke up at like six this morning and went, oh no, I've collected the wrong suitcase from the baggage carousel. <laughs> Uh, what am I going to do? Which would make sense if I hadn't arrived two days ago and had been wearing all my clothes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's been really fun. The weather's beautiful. Thanks for that. Yeah. It's lovely. Um, yeah, so we've just been hanging around the city and making pests of ourselves. It's been a month um, since our last podcast and... We have been preparing for this show today. You won't be able to tell. <laughs> um, but I've been spending a lot of time in the store Lush. Do you know that store? Why? So it's a beautiful store. Everyone, everyone who works there loves me. They're so nice to me, which is the opposite of other stores. Um, Do I you like, like the body shop? Yeah, it's, oh, it's so much better than the body oh, shop. Sorry. They really sorry, hate. Guys. They really hate racism, and they make a big deal of it. They're like, "We're against slavery and racism," and I'm like, "Whoa!" Really pushing the boat out on those issues. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of weird. Like, I I did go in there the other day, and I do want to debut a new impression of mine, if oh you don't God. mind. This is an exclusive. Um, it's called The Lady from Lush, and it's just, it was a, it was a kind of older woman, maybe mid-30s. Sorry, Excuse people, mid-30s. Excuse me, older. <laughs> um, uh, okay. 12 years old. Uh, and, yeah, I went in there, and she must have worked in a bookstore just down, a few shops down, and she came in, and it's a very physical impression. This is going to be good for the podcast that people are listening to. But um, she came in, she goes... Do you have any creams? I'm looking for some creams. Do you have any hand creams? Do you have any dry shampoo? I just love Lush. Do you have any jobs going here? I love Lush. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. And that mid-30s woman was Peter. Yeah, that was a mirror. She kept doing all the things that I was doing. <laughs> but opposite. <laughs> um, Beck, there's some pretty uh, notable things happening today in Canberra. Is there? There is. Um... If people haven't heard, uh, they're introducing in federal parliament today a marriage equality bill, and the person introducing that is marriage equality Bill Shorten. Um, Don't encourage that. 
And so Tanya Plibersek is co-signing it. I think uh, Warren Ench, who's a uh, North Queensland... Is he an MP or a senator? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, he, he, he's really pushing for a conscience vote. Um, Christine Forster, Tony's sister, yeah. who is a lesbian. She, she wants it to have bipartisan support and she's saying that they shouldn't introduce it without bipartisan support. Um, I can't believe she's... Like, I haven't spoken to my brother, like, if he disagrees with me on a movie. <laughs> and, like, she's fine with Tony being... She's I like, guess. he loves me. He does love me. He just hates everything about who I am. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a bit odd. Um, but we looked up... Uh, before we came here, uh, I think it's marriageequality.org.au forward slash something. Grinder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it tells you if your local federal MP supports same-sex marriage. And you might be surprised to learn that neither of our MPs do. <laughs> so my MP is um, Jane Prentice. Um, and your yours is Peter Dutton, the immigration minister. Yeah. Yep. He's undeclared, but he has voted against anything like this in the past. I don't understand how you can be undecided on something like same-sex marriage, like, at this point. Yeah. Surely you're either for or against. Like, who's still making up their mind? <laughs> like, he's got to get to the end of this season of The L Word before he really decides if he's going to support it. He hates Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't, Peter uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I don't really want to go through the marriage oh. equality bill because I kind of like having the excuse that it is illegal because it is better than saying that nobody's interested. <laughs> um, and I think there should be an amendment to it if it is going to be passed that someone does have to propose to me if it goes through. <laughs> um, Beck, we're trying to run a tight 60 today, so I might move on. No, please mm-hmm. never say that. Uh, <laughs> I might move on to our our news and sports segment, which doesn't have theme music, but we will edit in some, and we're going to edit out a lot of what we have to say today. It's going to be a (laughs) 30-minute episode. Hi, this is News Minute. I'm Rebecca Shaw. Federal Agricultural Minister Barnaby Joyce has asked broadcast watchdog the ACMA to investigate shock jock Carl Sanderlands for abusing him on the radio. Mr. Joyce said his main complaint is that he didn't appreciate Sanderlands calling him a little gerbil of a thing because, in fact, he is a huge gerbil. (laughs) A mother in the Philippines is in police custody after she took a photo of her baby wearing a dog leash and yet Anne Geddes still gets to roam the streets as a free woman. (laughs) News Corp is axing its free afternoon commuter publication, MX, which is a daily newspaper distributed on train platforms and other CBD locations in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Some commuters are upset at the news, with Peter Taggart now wondering where he will secretly tell handsome men on the train that he's been watching them. (laughs) Disney's sci-fi blockbuster Tomorrowland has flopped in the US. The film star George Clooney is believed to have recovered from the failure by catching a glimpse of his face in a mirror and being reminded that he is George Clooney. (laughs) And finally, the team behind the popular podcast Serial has announced that there will be not one, but two more seasons, with the next subject to be announced in the coming months. People are speculating that it will again involve a mystery, and this time the mystery will centre on why anyone is here listening to this. Now here's Sport with Peter. (laughs) 
Well, Queensland has defeated New South Wales in the first game of the 2015 State of Origin series. Sorry, Melbourne. Um, Origin is... uh, Imagine if your drunk Uncle Terry was recruited to play professional football and you're thinking, no, Uncle Terry went to prison for setting fire to that school. He's not good enough for professional football. Yes, he is. (laughs) Well, the Uncle Terrys beat the Uncle Daves and now Queensland owns New South Wales and we're turning the Sydney Opera House into a Bundaberg rum distillery. Uh, Tennis star Roger Federer was distressed and infuriated at the French Open last week when a fan ran onto the court to take a selfie with him. Oh no, this is the worst thing to ever happen on a tennis court, said a bleeding Monica Seles. (laughs) Several FIFA officials have been arrested over mismanagement and money laundering related to two World Cup bids. We should have really been tipped off by the slogan for Qatar's World Cup bid, Qatar 2022, give us your Western Union details. And that's sports. Thank you. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> Thank you to whoever started that applause break. Whoever um, was back there. <laughs> for our next segment, I wanted to welcome a uh, great writer and friend of the show, Brody Lancaster. Woo. Come up, Brody. I didn't cue up theme music, sorry. <laughs> But there's been some news since you've been setting up. Okay, sorry. You and Kanye are pregnant again. Oh my god! It just you happened. need to oh whisper into your microphone. Did everyone hear that? Kim and Kanye are pregnant. Well, Kim is. Well, pregnant. Kim is pregnant. Okay. But they feel like the kind of people who would say we're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's monsters, not. you mean? <laughs> Breeders. Um. So, Brody, you have the uh, great honour of being um, the only female guest who has ever been on Bring a Plate. You've been on once before. <laughs> I've actually been lobbying for fewer women to be on the show. Um, you... And all I remember is that we talked about the um, roller coaster scene in Fear. Yeah. Do which you guys I was remember watching that? on YouTube as we talked about it, <laughs> skipping to the parts that we were talking about, which was just a roller coaster scene. Yeah. Um, Does no one remember Fear? Reese Witherspoon guys, gets fingered on a roller coaster. It's, yes. <laughs> it's probably the most famous fingering scene. Except she puts Arguably. it on all her contracts. Yeah. Um, Brody, Wild had a really different ending. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brody, you published one of my favourite zines, Film for Tiles. You're also a writer at Rookie. You've written for Pitchfork and mm-hmm. Vulture. You just did a TED Talk in Sydney, mm-hmm. which was pretty exciting. Yep. But I got you here. I don't care about all that. I got you here because uh, you are a genuine fan of <coughs> Kardashians and One Direction. Yes. And I wanted to talk to you about fan culture and the way fan culture has evolved online. Mm-hmm. And I particularly want to ask you today, to start off, if you've ever... like, Do people assume your fandom of 1D is ironic all the time? I think it started that way um, because I uh, was kind of jokey about it at the start because I didn't know anyone else who was into them. And then I kind of was like, fuck it, I like them. And, if uh, you know, people don't think I'm joking anymore because when you listed off the places that I've written for, I just write about One Direction. Like, <laughs> Vulture was like One Direction. Pitchfork, One Direction. Um, so I think now... It's transitioned from like that weird thing that Brody likes to like being the thing that people know me for, which I am cool with. Yeah. <laughs> and when you were a child, mm-hmm. um, were you 
ever part of like a fan club of any kind? Not uh, officially. I was really into Archie comics, but they had like fan club subscription things at the back of their comic books, but all the comics were from like the 1970s. So, and this was the 1990s. So I was like, you went back in time. I went back in time and I become the president. No, um, <laughs> I like used to fill out the fan club things at the back and like request issues of Archie comics that I didn't have, but um, then they would just get returned to sender because Archie comic fan clubs don't exist. Can we all agree that Archie deserved neither Betty nor Veronica? Neither. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Just wanted to but also that no one in Riverdale deserved Betty or Veronica. Except each other. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Jughead gay? No. There was a gay marriage issue of Archie uh, that came yes, out no. in like 2011 or 12, but it was like if you, ha- if you stopped reading the issues that were published in the 1970s, you just didn't know any of the characters anymore, but at some point they all grew up. Like, they stopped being teenagers at some point. I don't know when. Um, but they had friends who were, like, in the military, and those, these, right. like, two military oh. guys got married. Rebecca Shaw, same question, fan club child. Um, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody was ever a fan of yours when you were a child? Never. Um, well, I did love the Spice Girls, um, and I entered a B105 competition, and... Oh, a gasp. <laughs> it is pretty incredible. Um, um, and I got... Okay, so I, you had to think of a product for the Spice Girls, and I came up with spice bubbles, like rice bubbles. But <laughs> So my you are, you incredible wit was developed from a very young age. And we got to go on a bus, a mini bus, with Andrew... I mean, Osha, when he worked at B105. Yes. Um, and we got to go on a bus from Brisbane to the Gold Coast to go to the Hard Rock Cafe for lunch. Right. Best day ever. Hey, this is a side note, but growing up in... Did you guys both grow up in Brisbane? I grew up in St George, Brady. You know that. I know. I grew up in Toowoomba. Did you guys ever go to a taping of Agro's Cartoon Connection? No. I did. What was... <laughs> Sorry. We, we had might... to get on a bus to go to it. I assume it was, like, near Brisbane. We might cut this out because it might become defamatory. What was Jamie Dunn like? Jamie Dunn's the guy who does the voice of Agro. He's got his hand up, Jamie. He's got his hand up Agro's ass. Um, was he really aggressive? Because he once made, famously in Brisbane, he once made a female co-host cry. I'm sorry, Agro made him cry. Made her cry. He's like, it wasn't me, it's Ag- Agro. <laughs> he controls me. Agro's holding the knife. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw him um, but I do remember the the vivid memory I have is like me and my sisters were like in the bleachers like the crowd and the girl in front of us like Ranger Stacy sat in front of the girl in front of us and this girl in front of us like gave her a massage on oh camera it was so weird but we were all obviously jealous of that girl so we were like <laughs> ducking down out of our seats to be on camera while Ranger Stacy was getting like a massage from a 10 year old <laughs> Brisbane is a weird <laughs> Um, now, obviously, fan culture online is a very broad topic, so um, we've each brought a little part of fan culture online here today to talk about that we might find particularly fascinating or hideous. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd get you to start, Brody, if you don't mind. I had, I had a really hideous example, but I tried explaining it to um, somebody yesterday, and I found myself getting so flustered and, like, overwhelmed and, like, creeped out about it okay. that I maybe... Was it Peter's website? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's also a part of, like, fan fiction, which I think you're going to talk about, Beck. but it's, like, the idea of, like, alpha, beta, omega fan fiction. Do you guys know uh-huh. about this? No, Does anybody get... know about this? 
Well. Don't look it up. It's really frightening. It's... I don't want to pass judgment. I don't want to be, like, gross, weird, but it's a gross and weird. Like, it's it's kind of this offset of fan fiction where um, it's like a, like a genre, I guess, where there are, like, five kind of key themes to it. And I, I want to say I discovered this accidentally and then did some research on it because I was like, what the fuck am I watching? But it effectively puts, like dog-like traits on humans where they like go through like heat and like mating cycles and they there's a part of it called mpreg which is what it kind of sounds like where (laughs) um anal sex between two men results in male pregnancy and babies (laughs) (laughs) it's really fucking weird but i don't i'm not an expert on it um, <laughs> you can't I try just, to say that now. I tried yeah. reading about it to like bring some facts to this, but then it creeped me out too much, and I had to stop reading. Are you ever afraid you're going to be on some list by looking things like yeah, that? Yeah, I genuinely am. But it's like this is where the depths that One Direction has taken me. Um, it's, so it's oh, it's, it's One Direction based. Them getting well, each other like, pregnant. It's a bunch of different. Okay. it can be applied to a bunch of different fan fiction. Isn't like, there the game that? There's like a Sims type thing, but it's One Direction, and they like yeah. are pregnant with each other. What is this? Somebody made that. <laughs> I don't know about it. Oh my god! Account. I know something that yeah. Brody doesn't. There's a Twitter <laughs> account that makes that made Sims out of all the. Do you call them boys? And what do you call them men? I don't call them men. Okay, boys. Uh, <laughs> boys. Too some men. of the fans just literally call them the boys, and you just have to assume you okay. know what they mean. Yeah. Uh, but their usernames are like Harry Styles, fuck me, or something. Okay. So you genuinely know what boys they're talking about. <laughs> And that's your parody. I mean, that's your Twitter, second <laughs> that's Twitter account. That's my side account, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's like they set up a Sims account so they could play out weird sexual things between the boys, uh, and it's, it's very disturbing. I don't know about this, but I am going to look it up. Yeah. Please, um, no. Just for research. <laughs> um, I thought I'd talk about mine. We might end on yours, Beck. We'll go this way. Sorry. If you Ladies. Sorry, I got it off to a really weird start. I was going to talk about a nice part of 1D Fandom, but maybe I will nah, leave it Nah, who cares about that? Tell meeting. us about the dog fuckers. Um, <laughs> now, I want to talk very, very briefly about um, people who make up, like, Instagram and Twitter accounts claiming to be the partners of celebrities. And I'm not talking about people who are, you know, like, fucking me, Harry Styles, like Mrs. Harry Styles or Mr. Ariana Grande. It's people who actually genuinely want to convince you that they are in a relationship with this person. Um, and I found one by your friend... Sorry. I found one by your friend, Beck. You're only friends with people named yep. Beck because you love yourself. Yes, I'm a big um, narcissist. Uh, so your friend Beck linked you to something and uh, I found this Instagram account from a woman. I probably won't say her name because she's on the internet a lot. She might find that She checks every website. Um, <laughs> she claims that she is in a relationship with Ellen Page, the okay. actress Ellen Page, from Juno and Juno Whippet. That's an old <laughs> Um, the posts are fairly frequent from her, so it's all pictures. Um, like, she reposts a picture that Ellen Page has took on her Instagram, and she's like, at the Slater Kinney concert with Ellen Page. It's like, who's going to believe Ellen Page is at Slater Kinney? That's a bit unbelievable. (laughs) Um, Next you'll be telling us she's wearing flannel. (laughs) There's another one of them, uh, not them, it's never a picture with her and Ellen Page. But there's one at, like just of a baseball field, and the caption is, Date night with Ellen Page. I had a blast with her. Best date ever. Now sleeping with her until tomorrow. We are spending time together. <laughs> I love that 
Everyone in a romantic relationship uses the other person's yeah. full name at yeah. all times. Well, she yeah. ats her every time, and she also does that thing where you put the like you tag someone in the picture. Um, so romantic. The thing is, Ellen Page would have so many notifications, she probably wouldn't even see these, no. right? No. Well, I can't, I hope so. For her sake. <laughs> yes. Um, she also posted a crude uh, drawing of lesbian sex, a very like like a diagram that you would draw. Do not back. look again. Do um, not look at me when you say. <laughs> And it's just, it's what you'd imagine that they do, I don't know. Um, and, and the caption is just, this is so us. <laughs> um, I, I want to read out my favourite before I hand over to you. My f- absolute favourite is, um, and, and she, she does, she's quite self-aware. She does recognise that people probably don't believe she's in a relationship with Ellen Page, which is why she'll, why she'll post like quite long, longish Instagram captures, mm-hmm. captions. Um, she says, um, our anniversary is coming up, Ellen Page. I'm, I'm more romantic than you, ha-ha. Plus, I knew you for eight years. We have been dating for five years. <laughs> Take me to events with you or next year's Oscars with you or two movie premieres, too. Um, I know we live together, but does your family or friends know me? Oh, my, my God. My family and friends know you. Plus, they have seen us together. I know people on the street have seen us together. Happy early anniversary, March 9. I love you. Um, <laughs> and then I she like that she assumes Ellen Page is going to be at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> All right, calm down. And she gets quite aggressive. She also says, um, this is yesterday at our house. I'm a very nice person and a very kind person as well. My family and friends have met you before. You should tell your friends and family about me instead of hide me. <laughs> I'm still in love with you. I've known you for eight years and we have been dating for six years. Oh, facts change. <laughs> Maybe that was after the anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Your friends, your friends and fans will think I'm lying or a crazy person if you don't say anything about us soon. Plus, I know you always text or call me when you are out somewhere. I don't have a problem with this woman because <laughs> there are lots of weirder things, and I'm sure you would know about it, yeah. Brody. Um, the people online <laughs> pretending to be like the parents of Niall Horan from One Direction. Yeah. Well, my friend Anna, um, I like how you pronounce his surname as well, like he's a prince or something. Horan. Is that not how it's pronounced? I think it's like Horan. Horan? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, depending on your region, null accent. Okay. Um, maybe that's the Queensland way of pronouncing it. Just My, a reminder, Brody, you are from Queensland as well. I've been here for <laughs> long enough that it's come, it's seeped out of me. Um, but the, my friend Anna Horan uh, has, like, sometimes will wake up and overnight One Direction fans will have, like, seized on her Twitter account and will assume that she knows or is related to Niall or that she was, like, a really early fan who made her username Anna Horan, which is her birth name. Um, <laughs> and people have, like, offered to, like, like take her username or buy it from her or something so that they can be, like, without, like, Anna Horan 1578, kiss me Niall, or whatever. Like, some kind of, like, variant on that. She should sell it. That's yeah, good business yeah, she for her. Should. Are any of the One Directions called Brockle Snitch? Because yeah. I'm willing <laughs> and that, ready. That's Zane's middle name, but he's gone now. <laughs> oh, Zane. Well... Beautiful Zane. It happened to the extent that Niall had to send out like a tweet that said, my parents are not on Twitter, please stop doing this. Um, And there are so many accounts. If you look up Maura Horan, which is Niall's mother's name, and Maura doesn't deserve this. She's a beautiful lady. She has like short feathered hair. It's lovely. (laughs) You've done lots of research. Yeah. 
Um, and she doesn't deserve this shit. She but doesn't. there's things like, so they'll just post under her name and things like, um, that moment when your son doesn't text you back. <laughs> and then there's another one. There's another one that's like, why is he ignoring me? Sad face. Um, it's really sad. Um, and then there are some fake accounts in Portuguese, assuming that Maura knows Portuguese. Yeah, she's got a translator on her social media team. Rebecca, what have you got for us? Well, my thing isn't funny. Oh. Um, <laughs> thanks thanks cool. for bringing it. <laughs> Not everything has to be a joke. Some things are Sorry. serious. Um, but I've become interested in fan fiction, not reading it, but reading about it. Mm-hmm. Because have you read a lot of it, Brody? I've read some. Because I used to be really anti it. Yeah. Like the One Direction ones specific. Like, I really am not interested in like fans broadly, but like just One Direction. But like, I didn't like that they took, like, fans took like real life people and made them fictional characters in their stories. But then I read a really good one and I was like, I'm cool cool with it now. (laughs) This appeals to me, therefore it's great. Therefore it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming everyone knows what fan fiction is. so, but I've become really interested in the culture around it because the community is just massive. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to find, because E.L. James started out as Twilight fan fiction, mm-hmm. The Fifty Shades of Grey, and I do a thing called uh, filing off the serial number, which is when they, so if a fan fiction writer gets popular and they want to actually publish it, they change just enough stuff so that mm-hmm. they don't get sued. Um, but I didn't want to make fun of it because I know that there's actually a lot, probably a lot of good stuff mm. that gets produced. And um, I had a friend send me a list of things. Um, and there's one um, that's really interesting that's collectively written by a bunch of women about Captain America. And so um, basically they've created this universe where, like, because Captain America, everyone thought he died in World War II. This is fascinating. Um, LAUGHTER but basically their thing is this, in this Captain America universe, he would have been a national hero, so there would have been a lot of movies made about him in the universe. Uh-huh. And so it's people, like, writing the movies that would have been made. And, like, they make... Like, there's one um, called The Song of Steve Rogers, and they've made the movie poster that is Mel Gibson playing him in 1989. Oh. And, like, stuff like that. It's super involved. Um, there's, like... She also sent me one that's um, a Gilmore Girls, one where Rory and Paris enter into a Boston marriage, which is from the 19th century, where two women live together independent of a man, and I'm going to read that one. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but she also sent me one that's a Star Trek fanfic based on the movie that is 230,000 words long, which is Amazing. a long book. This like, is why I can't make fun of these fanfiction writers, because they are more productive than any writer I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they I have bigger it, audiences. Yeah. And I think I it's because it, they don't have to really think of the base idea behind it, though. They've, they've got characters. Yeah. They've yeah. got the basic, you know. Basic what? instinct. That's my basic favorite. Basic instinct. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is interesting, like, because a lot of them have gone on to, like, using as an avenue to get other work. Like, pr- if they get popular and have an audience base, then they can do an original story. Mm. And there's some authors that are really, like, J.K. Rowling, I think, doesn't mind fan fiction, oh. but, like, Anne Rice is, like don't you fucking dare. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. But I just think it's really interesting, mm. okay? There's this writer that I know from being... She's, like, famous, a famous One Direction fan fiction writer. And when I say One Direction fan fiction, I really just mean Harry and Louis, like, gay fan fiction. Why is it only those two that people are interested because in? Because they're, they're the ones that there is a theory that they were together at the start of the band. Guys, 
There's a, there's a YouTube series called You Just Have to Pay oh, Attention. Yes, yes. It's 13 episodes long. Some of it is totally ridiculous. Like they'll, it's just basically like a bunch of stills, no, mostly videos and gifts and stuff and music and like little like whisperings that they've like boosted the volume on. And then they'll like play a clip and then they'll, they'll just, the text will come up on screen and be like, did you see that? Yeah. And then it'll slow it down and it'll be like, Harry's over here and Louis's over here. And one of them like looks back this way and they're like, look at his eyes. And it's like, they slow it down until the moment where they make the briefest eye contact and they're like, you can't fake this stuff. And it's like, some of it is like that, but some of it is genuinely like, like, I, I like a range of faces. Did I show you the hand yeah. one? I've seen, I've seen it. It's kind of like, um, do you remember I Inside Edition? Okay. So I feel like your range of it's, a, it's a radio interview. <laughs> Who am I? Your range of You're Louis. Okay. So you're, sta- you're standing here. They're all myself. doing a radio. <laughs> hey. Oh, sorry. They're doing like a radio interview, and Harry's behind here, and he like kind of nudges Louis's arm like this. And then he brings his hand back here, and then Louis, do it. Yeah, what am I doing? You brush, then he, like, brings his arm back, and they just, like, rub each other's arms. And the camera's over here, like, they don't think anyone's seen it. Guys, you just Um. have to pay attention. That that can't be misread. That only <laughs> means one thing. There's some of it that I'm like, this is bullshit. And other times I'm like, mm, oh, Good point. Yeah. <laughs> but if people recorded Peter and I for, like, our, like this trip together yeah. and then slowed it down. Like, I'm sure you could see and, us look at yeah. each other and, and put like Ed Sheeran lust, songs in the background. Pure lust in our eyes. <laughs> we did check into our hotel shortly before coming here today and they did ask us if we were in fact asking for two twin beds. They felt the chemistry. They were like, are you, are you guys sure? She was like, how can you be in the same room with this stud yeah. and not want to? <laughs> I feel like I just revealed too much of myself. <laughs> We already By how knew. We already knew. I wanted worry. to act that out. It's fine. <laughs> I'll be Harry. No, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Am I done? Um, thank you very much for joining us, Brody. Um, follow Brody on Twitter at Brody Lancaster, and just do whatever or at she tells you. Fuck me, Harry Styles. For more insights like these. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, if you've never heard the show before, um, this section of the show is usually dedicated to a film review. Um, like Brody said, Brody helped us out uh, reviewing uh, Fear, not just the fingering scene, but a lot of a lot of time was spent on that. Um, but for this, it is the Emerging Writers Festival, and we thought we should review like a real piece of literature. Yeah, I just want to say, if we were going to do a movie, it would have been Sister Act Two. Yeah, because. I, um, Rotten Tomatoes, um, that movie's on 13% and it's an outrage. Yeah. And so I like to bring it up whenever I'm being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but this time we decided to do a classic piece of American literature. Um, and yeah, we're aiming a little higher. Highbrow. Yeah, um, please. And that's why we chose the 1996 book, Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining by Judge <laughs> Judith Scheinlein. Now, this is... We bought these. Um, she looks like my mum. Yeah. She's holding her book. She's ready for court. Um, I should note, it says by Judge Judy Scheinlin, but she's got with Josh Getlin. Like, why did, she's a judge. She should be able to write a book on her own. You know what I mean? Like, she's not Shane Warne. She doesn't need someone to come in and string her sentences together. 
Even with two people, it was a <laughs> bit of a struggle. Um, it's funny because uh, people would assume that the book came out after the TV show, but this was 1996, so it actually came out... I think she was on 60 Minutes, and uh, her appearance on 60 Minutes was quite popular. Um, and she was working in the family court in New York. She was a judge for the family court in New York. Um, dun, dun. And, yeah, they basically approached her after the book and said, would you like to do a, a TV, you know, courtroom reality... Would you call it a reality show? Courtroom show. Um, in in uh, 2013, she they won the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Legal Courtroom Program. Oh. So. Um, so call it by its proper title. It's, it's also important to know that the uh, people are real, the cases <laughs> are real, the judgment is final. Yeah. Not real, though. <laughs> um, and she originally wanted to call the show Hot Bench. Ugh. <laughs> that sounds like um, a cool sandwich shop. That it I sounds saw. like when somebody like moves on and you can feel their uh, butt warmth yeah. beneath you. It's gross. Oh, that. This bus seat has a bit of hot bench <laughs> happening. Um, so she's actually just extended her contract through to 2020. And she's, she's loaded. Fucking rich. She has a $47 million a year salary. It makes her the highest paid daytime TV star. Maybe the highest no, paid TV just, star. Yeah. Full stop. Um, and she only films 52 days a year. So that's like $900,000 per filming day. And she films in LA but lives in New York, so she takes her private jet. This woman. Um, <laughs> she's really... She's out there, Beck. She's, she's fighting. She's scrapping. She's punching Judy. <laughs> At least 80% of people in here are too young to understand what you just said. <laughs> um, before we go into the, what the book's actually about... Before um, we read the book... In full. Uh, close the doors. <laughs> um, she, she dedicates the book to Murray, Ethel, Jerry and Elaine. <laughs> and Kramer and Susan and Uncle Leo. The soup Nazi. Um, <laughs> uh, but she outlines the book fairly early on what the book's all about. So I might just read that tiny little bit. She says... Our government has spent decades and billions exploring the root causes of crime, violence, teen pregnancy, drug abuse and welfare dependency. We have been exploring forever. Now it is time to discover. That, my friends, is the fundamental point of this book. And she has some really, really great uh, subheaders. So there are chapters and then subheaders within the chapters. Uh, page 22, you have, Do you have a constitutional right to give AIDS to your babies? That's one subheader. <laughs> She, this woman is obsessed with babies being oh, yeah. sad. 49, page 49, uh, foreigners, the new criminals. She's very racist. And page 217, and this is your favourite, Beck. crack babies coming to a movie screen near you. This, her idea is to, outside the courtroom... Play a video of a crack baby recovering from withdrawals. Withdrawals? To, like, withdrawals. <laughs> um, to, yeah, to, like... To... Stop people taking crack. She's really obsessed with crack, because this is the 90s, <laughs> and everyone... Sh like, if you read Hyper this book... Hypercolour t-shirts and crack. <laughs> if you read this book, you would assume that every single person you meet in the street is on crack. <laughs> um, and the book's title... Now, 
it's interesting because it's, it's an advice, it's a piece of advice that her father gave her. He said to her, Judy, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. It's kind of like, did she fall for that very often? Like, was somebody peeing on her leg? And she was like, finally, she was like, no, 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 I'm not falling for that again. Don't you dare. I can tell this is rain, guys. And she, and she speaks early on in the book about wanting to um, etch it into the walls of the family court so people who are attending the family court see it as they come through. Like, oh, I've just committed a crime. Don't pee on my leg until I won't. I won't do that now. <laughs> um, we used to, I used to watch this at uni. We would watch this and Passions. So... <laughs> It's really formative years, great stuff. Um, um, she shows her world-famous compassion <laughs> very early on in this book, um, and this was one of the first things we read. It's page 13, and this just deals with one of her average cases. We're telling you the page number so you can look it up when you yeah, get home please. with all your copies that you have. I'll give you the Harvard reference. <laughs> um, she says... First up is Elmo, 15, who weighs 160 pounds and has an IQ of 90. He has been charged for a second time with selling crack cocaine to an undercover police officer. His lawyer, a young, passionate fellow, argues that Elmo should be released to his mother's custody because he is a really good kid. His trouble started eight months ago when his grandma died, the lawyer claims. In his grief, Elmo had no choice but to deal the hard stuff. Get a better story, I fire back, startling the boy, who has a smug look on his face. Nobody goes out and sells drugs because grandma died. She has no... um, She really doesn't believe that your circumstances could have any impact. It's like everyone should just be fine no matter what. If there were crack... What about crack babies, Judy? They've had a hard start. What if that baby does a crime? Does a crime? (laughs) Yes. What baby does crime? (laughs) (laughs) She goes through a lot of different anecdotes as well. Uh, There's a story... I don't want to read this out. It's too long. But basically, she's just berating this young man um, and he's, like, just looking at her, like, doe-eyed. And and she's like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? And um, she realises that her breasts have been out the whole time. Just, like, the whole time that she's been like... And, yeah, and, and then... She says, you know, um, and when I asked how he wanted to leave the courtroom, he looked at me and answered with a big smile, oh, judge, I want to go home with you. Like, that never happened. No, that, that definitely did not happen. never possibly happened. <laughs> and then the pizza boy came in and he was yeah. like, judge. <laughs> um, yeah, she's kind of like, you know, when you think of something really clever to say, like, for no. instance, after this podcast ends. Well, <laughs> um, but, like... Yeah, she she just, like, tells you that she did say them. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is true. It's in a book. Yeah. It's basically um, just a list of her, her noting herself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you were saying, her solution is pretty much to throw everyone in jail. She's kind of like the Oprah of throwing people into jail. <laughs> um, she talks about uh, throwing one boy into jail and... Um, then the mother of the boy makes a big scene and she's like, so I threw her into jail too. <laughs> like, jail's really expensive. It's expensive to put people and keep people in jail. Yeah. Don't... Okay, come down. Yeah, I'm very Aaron passionate. Brokovich. But she also does... Um, she wants to, like, enforce a curfew, which mm. would definitely work, and um, no more free lawyers. Like, she doesn't believe in pro, pro bono. bono. She hates you too. Boom. Um... Yes. <laughs> that, got, that got the laughter it deserved. 
That's fine. Um, she hates homeless people. Yeah. She she says in one part, so they must have passed some ruling in um, like New York that to allow homeless people to sleep in like railway stations. And she's like, but what if you have to look at them when you come to work? <laughs> it's like, wouldn't that? That's the worst part of that. Um, oh, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. She was doing a, um, like she was saying all these cases. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going to take you at your word, Judge Judy. Um, and so it was this story of a, a guy was mugging this man and the man yelled out and the transit officer came and then shot the mugger who then was paralysed. And so he sued the state and she's like, that's the worst thing that's ever happened. And he didn't have any weapons or anything. And then, I, and then so I went and looked up the story because I am Nancy Drew. And um, it turns out that the transit officer shot him in the back while he was running away down the stairs. And I was like, don't leave that part out, Judge Judith. Judith? <laughs> She has a very skewered idea of, like, you know, punishment fitting the crime as well. Like, you stole someone's bag. You deserve to be shot in the back and paralysed for life, you <laughs> yeah. know? like. And also the weirdest thing about that story is the guy who got mugged, his name was Jerry Sandusky. You know the Penn State coach who was in all that trouble? Look his name up. <laughs> So I'm kind of like, if it's that, if it's the Jerry Sandusky, I don't really care that he was mugged. Um, Can I just read out my favourite part? Yeah. Because she starts talking about her family and how amazing they are, um, and she's she goes into how um, girls back then girls stopped living at home when they left in a white gown or a pine box. <laughs> like, calm your farm, Judge Judy. She's um, talking about like they died of tuberculosis, like Beth in Little yeah, Women or something. Yeah. <laughs> they started to cough and then the end of the movie, they're dead. Um, but th- she talks about her husband who's um, a bit more conservative and he said, recently he spent an afternoon with our youngest daughter, Nicole, and her significant other who were looking for an apartment. That was a big step forward, yet he's still in denial. He will not call her at her boyfriend's apartment. He wonders whether she's begun menstruating. She's 27. <laughs> and the father, Jerry... No, wait, 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 no, no, no. She's 27. Yeah. What, why is he wondering that to begin with? My dad's at home like, I wonder. <laughs> but let's not forget Jerry Shinelin. Her father is also a judge. Like, he's a judge. Yeah. Shouldn't he know? Shouldn't a judge know? Like, don't you think judges are meant why to be Why should judges smart? know about periods? More so than other men. They should. Okay, good. And then she says, these are funny stories. And I'm like, that's not funny. It's always good to point out what's a funny story. This is funny. This is a funny podcast. Uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah, she she is really... uh, 27. She's, yeah. Sorry? Yeah. And she's also, um, she's not into victims, Beck. She hates... She hates victims. victims. (laughs) Don't identify as a victim. Nobody is a victim. Um, but except, except her landlord friend who was taken to court because, um, he didn't put the bins out. Uh, and, and she was like, he's the victim of bad tenants. The very next page, she's like, don't be a victim. (laughs) She says there's bits about things she calls buzzwords. And some of the buzzwords that are, are like more buzzwords, like victimization, community-based drug programs. How is that a buzzword? (laughs) Like, this baloney community-based drug <laughs> programs. Um, Insane. Uh, we haven't talked about when she um, tries to get other judges oh, murdered. Oh, that's good. Um, 
Oh, we buried the lead. I'm going to flip to that page. Just do flip something faster. I need to entertain people while I'm. He's Leslie Nope. He has his little color coded. <laughs> um, so yeah, she deals with some cases where uh, there's a particularly um, terrifying man who she has to send to jail. Oftentimes, usually a man. I'm sure there's not oh, all men. Not all men. Good for you, girl. <laughs> um, so she says um, to this guy, "You're being taken to jail for six months." An officer answered, "What? Um, that ain't going to happen." The man exploded. Who did that? The officers explained that the judge had sentenced him and he began shouting that he wanted my name. Actually, he said something like, I'm going to cut her fucking heart out. She ain't never going to see Christmas and so on. Imagine how much Judy's like, she loves Christmas. Um, <laughs> She's like, I don't mind dying, but can you wait until 26? Yeah. Um, frankly, I was a little frightened. When he demanded to know my name, I instructed the court officers to remove his manacles and give him a pencil and paper. I told the man that my name was Hutner, H-U-T-T-N-E-R. Judge Hutner was the supervising judge in Kings County at the time, and I made the following rationalisation. I was only a visitor. This was his county, his court. I would make my own enemies in due time in my own county, but this baby was his. So I thought this was like... I thought this was going to be like a one-off incident. Yeah. I was and, like... Was not expecting a next. <laughs> yeah, the very next page, she says, um, uh, the, there's another monster who comes man. into her courtroom, man. Um, <laughs> and she says, I suggested to my court officer that the next time this monster came before me, he should run next door, take Judge Kaplan's sign from his bench and place it prominently in front of me. Judge Kaplan is a lovely guy, but he's a bachelor. He- <laughs> he's just a bachelor. <laughs> That's what Pony's about, the song. His only relative is an aged mother who hardly needs his support. (laughs) I figured I would tell him about this in a couple of years when he's dead, presumably. These these sound like jokes when we're saying them, but she's not joking. She says that would give him time to change his name. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's weird because... Beck, you know, you and I, we kind of, like, live in this bubble. We're like the boy in the bubble. Um, we live in this bubble where we try and surround ourselves by, like, people who are very tolerant and nice and, what? you know... Why am yeah, I here with you? I don't know. But besides that, um, besides you, yes. But Judy sees criminals every day of her life and she sees, you know, people addicted to drugs or whatever. So she thinks that everyone's a criminal and everyone's on drugs. But she's 72 years old. Just take your f- previous millions of dollars and just retire. Why is she still doing it? She hates everyone. We haven't talked much about, and just to finish off how racist she is, um, like any time a crime is committed by um, a white person, she's like, can you believe they're white? Or, <laughs> and you're like, yes, I, I can. I can believe it. <laughs> and their show's actually been sued. This is, yeah. We've done two books on the podcast, um, Melissa Joan Hart's Autobiography, and she Melissa was also sued. Yeah. Her um, lolly shop, Sweethearts, mm. um, very clever, was sued for racism. And now this book, um, they were sued for claiming uh, people claimed that black litigants were being kept off the show, and like the producer would call them like ghetto and stuff like that. So we're really keeping up the racism <laughs> related books. It's great. 
Um, maybe just to finish this segment, um, I should tell you the alternate name for this book. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Don't spit on my cupcake and tell me it's frosting. <laughs> Did you just make that up? No, that's really what she says. Don't spit on my what? cupcake. Who the f- who is spitting on cupcake? No one would believe it's frosting. Sounds very sexual to me. <laughs> Do spit on my cupcake. <laughs> anyway, I give this book five stars, and only and only Judy can judge us, Rebecca. <laughs> Um, Beck, I, I started watching a TV show a year ago, uh, and it's been a real journey for me. Um, Tell us more. Thanks. Uh, you know, growing up when your sister no. would, uh, well, you don't have sisters. You have, how many brothers do you have? Three. Three brothers. And they're all boxers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The dog. Yeah. <laughs> I... When you have a sister or, you know, a brother, I guess, you don't want to be into the same things as them. That's kind of uncool. You want to have your own thing. And so... um, That's why I turned to lesbianism, because none of them could do it. (laughs) And every every show my sister liked, I actively just repelled. I I would just think it was daggy and lame. Um, And then I started watching one of them last year. Um, and I watched the full seven seasons uh, in the past year. And I wanted to really capture my experience, and I didn't really know how I'd go about it. Would I publish a zine, a book, a one-man show? Um, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll write an epic poem. Um, I, am, I am a poet, and don't you know it? Uh, I, I do have to stand up to recite this poem because it is actually illegal to recite a poem standing down in Melbourne, I've heard. Um, I'm doing this very gracefully. Um, Pull your pants up. Thank you. <laughs> Judge Judy was, we did not approve. Uh, this is called My Gilmore Year by Peter Taggart and Rebecca Cartwright-Hewitt. <clears throat> 2014, a time of reflection, passive aggression and aggressive rejection. The sex I never had, the father I never knew. Please don't draw parallels between those two. A heartbreak, a toothache, the pang of depression. I looked in my Netflix queue and found an obsession. It started with a season to see how it unfurls. So I lay horizontal and watched the Gilmore Girls. Where you lead, I will follow. As far as Connecticut, where you'll find stars hollow. A quaint community from days of yore, where in place of a meth dealer, there's a town troubadour. A tidy little town with no gay men. Anita Bryant Palladino, the clergy says amen. No murder, no theft, no fuss and no squalor. No Laura Palmer, who cares and why bother? But it's the townsfolk themselves that give this show heart, all characters lifted from Norman Rockwell's art. Gypsy and Kirk and Lulu and TJ, Jackson and Zach and Tristan Dugray, Michel Girard, Suki St. James, Lindsay Ann Forrester and other porn star names. (laughs) 
All husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, weirdos and loners, and look, Sally Struthers. <laughs> Praise be Mrs. Kim, she has no peer. Cheryl and Fenn, what are you doing here? <laughs> and don't forget a special appearance by Edward Herman. What's so special about appearing on every episode of a TV show? <laughs> it's like saying special, special appearance by Rebecca Shaw. I know this bit doesn't rhyme, anyway. Um... <laughs> And what of the leads that give this show its name? Two sides of a coin, not quite the same. Now, if I want a mother and daughter that resonate across decades, I will go and watch Cher and Winona in Mermaids. <laughs> but I will make do for the sake of this story for Lorelai Gilmore and her mini-me, Rory. They're just like best friends. They rebel against the norm, treating life like a semester in a Sarah Lawrence dorm. Pizza and Pop-Tarts, a diet of hot farts. All of that, <laughs> all of that coffee must cause great distress. Lorelai Gilmore, how is your IBS? <laughs> Rory goes to Chilton, her grandparents paid, so she could make the Ivy lead and get a winning grade. Then Rory goes to Yale, her grandparents paid, so she could spit on maids with the Life and Death Brigade. Poor Lorelai, her business dreams seem so far away until an old lady dies and leaves some property. <laughs> Suki and Lorelai snap up the dragonfly for new accommodation, a cosy inn for the older crowd to enjoy some mild penetration. They settle into a weird melancholy, like faulty towers where everyone's poly. But the real dramas outside all of their hobbies and their work in their tangled relationships with every last living jerk. Let's call a town meeting to discuss their boyfriends, a string of man babies in absorbent depends. Who are these garbage men so possessive and so needy? Not a single male on the East Coast who isn't pining for big or little Edie. For Lorelai, there's Rory's dad, a flake, a rogue, a charmer, and a cad. He has the good looks of a lifetime serial killer, but in Lorelai's lifetime, he's just a seat filler. She scouts the school for her next beau, not in a way like Mary Kay Letourneau. She finds him quoting Shakespeare, there's simply no one greener than Rory's English teacher, funky cold Max Medina. But why the long search? Why even let the eye travel when you can stay in Stars Hollow and let your fate unravel? Luke Dane's brother of Claire, a walking caveman with bad hat hair. Is there anything finer than a meal at Luke's diner, perhaps scoliosis or seborrheic keratosis? <laughs> Will they or won't they? Their destiny seems clear. Apart from his huge anger issues, there's nothing to fear. <laughs> and what about Rory, discovering her feelings for boys? What advice to keep her sane, to keep her wit and her poise? Don't be in a hurry for Chad Michael Murray. You know where to park it, just across from Dozy's Market, where bagging your greens is a boy named Dean who will take your virginity when you are 18. I wrote fact check on it. Do you think it's too late to fact check that bit? <laughs> <clears throat> Imagine Holden Caulfield joined the Jets in West Side Story. 
stayed gold in the outsiders, took the mighty ducks to glory, and then he won a ziti for being the best-looking soprano. Well, you'd get Rory's second boyfriend, Jess Mariano. (laughs) And don't shout for Jess. And finally, there's Logan, the trust fund kid from hell. His father owned newspapers. I'm sure he's doing well. (laughs) The seasons went by quickly, a blur of sight and sound. Society parties are yacht theft. The plot, relatable, profound. Remember season six, really experimental and inspired? Or maybe it was just pixelated because my Wi-Fi had expired. Does the show's cancellation after its move to CW still keep you up at night, still awaken and trouble you? Don't look glum because we've seen all to be seen. Let's look ahead at what might have been. To season eight, a return to form, great. A full 40 minutes spent on Richard's prostate. To season nine, a controversial sign when an African-American character gets more than one line. (laughs) Jump forward real quick to season 11, Luke's fucking Miss Patty and Logan's in heaven. (laughs) 525,600 minutes. How do you measure, measure a year? Seven seasons of love or like, it's neither there nor here. Did I choose you or did you choose me? No, I chose you. That's how streaming's meant to be. (laughs) Home sweet syndrome of Stockholm. You grabbed me by the collar. I was your prisoner, but now I'm your scholar. I have a lot more spare time now. That much is true. I can do really whatever I want to do. uh, The world is my oyster. Disgusting and something I would never order. It's winter now, the cold set in, wrapped in a cosy sweater. I might head out and meet my own Luke or someone infinitely better. (laughs) Or I might stay in these harsh, lonely nights, updating Tinder on my phone. Camera pans out on me in the diner, all alone. That's how that usually goes for people. Just without the poem. That's all we have time for today. Um, Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thanks, guys. Um, Follow us. I'm at Peter Taggart. Um, Who are you? At Brocklesnitch. At Brocklesnitch. Um, I should say, uh, also follow us at Bring a Plate Pod. You can rate us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Um, Tell your friends about the show, but possibly not about today. Um, (laughs) 
A big thank you to our guest, Brodie Lancaster. Follow her at Brodie Lancaster on Twitter. Um, the person just singing then, I had no idea who that was, but his name's Christopher Weldon. You can follow him at Chrysopotamia. He has an amazing blog called uh, Christopher Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and his show is on at the Melbourne Fringe this year, and you can go and see the show based on that blog, and it should be really good. Peter, Peter's trying to do this while putting his password. It's really fun to watch. <laughs> can't do, I'm a man. I can't do more than one thing at a time. Um, a special thanks to everyone at the Wheeler Centre today um, and the people recording us right now. Uh, thank you to Emerging Writers Festival. A huge thank you to the smartest person in the room, Rebecca Varco, for bringing us here and making everything possible. Making Did everything anyone possible. else? I really thought you were going to say me, but I was oh, like, sorry. this is weird because you don't usually say a good thing. Thank you, Beck, don't for not. Touch. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you, Beck, for not vomiting today. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for coming to see how the sausage is made and also oh. for watching the show. Um, I think we should... Do you have anything else to say? No. Any thank yous? I, I think we should Thanks. probably end on something really subtle. I like. Then it goes a little something like this. <laughs> <laughs>